0: and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast.
1: And I think retouching in a way is almost like studying people because when you're retouching a photograph from someone, like if I had to retouch a photo from you, I would end up seeing your raw files and there's so much embedded in those raw files beyond the pixels. You know, it's almost like a psychology session without you even saying anything.
0: Today's guest is Prateek Naik, and he is a master retoucher and also a photographer. He's so easy to talk with and listen to, and he's pretty much magical when it comes to Photoshop. We talk all about the important tools you should learn if you are a photographer when it comes to retouching, how to find the right retoucher for you, and what can make an image stand out as being like a badly retouched photo. Prateek also shares with us his story about how he ended up with this amazing career, and it was really interesting to hear how he started his journey way back in high school. Prateek is all around just a great guy and an amazing teacher, and I'm just so honored to have interviewed him. Okay, let's get started. Hey Prateek, welcome to the Portrait System Podcast. Hey
1: Nikki, thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so happy to chat with you. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as I just heard your voice, it made me think about how people who have your retouching course talk about how you're so easy to listen to. You're just like so, <laughs> such a simple teacher. Like the, the way that you explain things is very simple to follow. Thanks. So, anyways, as soon as I heard your voice, I was like, oh, you know, I've heard your voice so much. So,
1: <laughs> good. That means you've been watching some of my tutorials then. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. It is no secret that retouching is not my superpower. And I have a full time retoucher who I use. Great. For every shoot, but uh-huh. I do know that it is important to have some clearly some skills. So
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm getting there. Good, good. I, I think, you know what? It's funny because a lot of people are kind of in the same position where they might know a little bit about it, but they'd still prefer using someone else. But I think that's a good position to be in.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. For sure. For sure. Okay, so I want to hear a little bit about you. I, you know, all I know is that I know that you're also a photographer, but you have this really incredible retouching business and I'm I'm wondering how you got started in the whole photography world to begin with.
1: It was such a long-winded backstory, I feel like sometimes, but I want to give you the whole picture here. Um, yeah, basically, please. let's let's backtrack to when I was like in, in high school pretty much. And at that point what what happened was and, and currently I'm At the time of this interview, I'm 36, so it's been a little while since then. But at that time, I I took a class in high school for digital animation. And I took that class because I always um, enjoyed drawing. I wasn't necessarily the best uh, drawer in terms of trying to put something on paper that I had in my head, but I really loved Mm -hmm. drawing the art of it, the art of moving a pencil on paper and Mm -hmm. pretending I was being creative, you know? But I was always secretly kind of jealous of the people who could draw really well off the bat without like any references, that kind of... Right. Are you, Nikki, are you somebody who is good at drawing?
0: No. Mm -mm.
1: Okay, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, No, I mean, if I'm staring at something, I can recreate it. But yeah. but like you said, I feel like it is such a unique, special skill to be able to, to just come up with something. Yeah, like, without having any reference, it's amazing. So
1: you totally understand that side of things. Mm-hmm. And oh, you know, yeah. I was always enamored by it. So what happened was, I took that class, and I was thinking, you know what? If I can't physically draw, I want to explore other art mediums that I could potentially do. And you know, I had a fascination of computers because it was kind of new then um, to. To, to play with computers for art purposes, and I learned a bit about animation. And although it was fascinating, uh, it didn't really catch my attention as much as the program that was on my computer called Photoshop, and that's when I first discovered what Photoshop was. And funny enough, mm-hmm. when I opened the program, and back then it was Photoshop 5.0, I ended up actually closing it because it looked so boring. It looked so boring. <laughs> <laughs> the interface was just
0: It was not a beautiful uh, interface. No.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, when you first if you ever remember first time opening Photoshop, it doesn't look really welcoming, you know? It no. just looks like Mm-mm. a bunch of blank grey boxes. And for, for something to be the program that every creative uses, how funny is that when you think about it?
0: It's so true. It's such a good point. I took a little, you know, just like a mini Photoshop class. And yeah. I just remember being like, what is this? And like you said, <laughs> I'm bored. I'm, I don't understand. It was confusing. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never using Photoshop again. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so, and so I did it for a while. I ended up actually opening up another program called Paint Shop Pro. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this is, more, this is more what I imagined the evolution of digital art to be more like rather than this Photoshop thing. And at the time I was like, maybe Photoshop is just used by people at Walgreens to edit photos to print out images. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> That's what it's used so for, funny.
1: the Photoshop. And I was like, okay, cool, but uh, Paint Shop Pro is even cooler because it has different brushes and you can be very creative. But eventually what happened was during that time in my class, I used the program without the teacher really knowing about it in the back. Was sitting in the back and <laughs> I got really serious with it. I started to edit photos in PaintShop Pro and I started hitting limitations of what you could do with it. And I remember there was a point in, in that course where my friends were telling me to enter different competitions online for Photoshop. And I realized that some of the tools that they used to edit photos, again, was only in Photoshop. So inevitably, I ended up actually learning Photoshop as well. And I ended up winning some contests with with my knowledge. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's great. And that was in high school.
1: That was yeah. That was my wow, first,
0: very cool first,
1: first year of using it. And from there, I ended up doing a lot more manipulation related projects just for fun, mind you. And it just grew a love affair of it. But that was kind of you know a part story. And then after that, I ended up picking up a camera because I constantly at the time wanted to discover how art is going to evolve. Because I knew that in the coming years, this was 1998, 1999, um, it was going to take a a huge hold on the photography industry and Mm -hmm. the art industry. And now everything is done with computers in mind, whether it's CGI, whether it's film, everything has video editing, everything. So I put my, you know, invested my time into it, did photography because again, wanted to do more things art related. And when I did photography, this was also at the end of high school, beginning of college, I realized that the thing I loved most about actually taking the photo was, again, editing the photo in Photoshop. And I ended up setting up an online profile on Model Mayhem back then on my photography as well as retouching. So I would post pictures oh, of my okay, retouching. yeah. And then suddenly people started asking me for my rates and you know, if I could edit their photos. And I just loved connecting with the community back then, so it was easy for me to get traction. And that's how mm-hmm. this whole love affair uh, started.
0: Wow. It's funny hearing you say that you like to connect, because you always do these posts on Facebook that get so much engagement. <laughs> like, clearly that's one of, one of your skills, is connecting with people. And I'm like, does, does he, like, how does he come up with these questions? Like, you always have some... Really great question that gets like hundreds, hundreds of comments, and it's yeah, it's fun. It's I'm always like, oh, what a critique post. What question today? You know, it's like you always have some good question for people. It's awesome.
1: I think Nikki, like yourself, you know, I really enjoy talking to people more than anything. At the root of it, it's it's more about meeting different people and meeting different creatives and and connecting with them and understanding what they do. And I think retouching, in a way. Is almost like studying people because when you're retouching Mm -hmm. a photograph Mm -hmm. from someone, like if I had to retouch a photo from you, I would end up seeing your raw files. And there's so much embedded in those raw files beyond the pixels. Like you get to see your style, you get to see your preferences of how you see people. You know, it's almost like a psychology session without you even saying anything. And I can kind of see that. And it's so fascinating because... You can clearly see a reflection of the person based on the style of photos that they shoot, and it's sometimes like a, a code that we send to each other as creatives, without us even sometimes knowing it, because we don't even know when our work evolves, if it's good enough, or if it's bad, or mm-hmm. anything. But the people, but people can see it. You know, it translates like body language. It translates so well.
0: Right. Right. Gosh, that's such a that's such a question that people ask all the time: Is is my work good enough yet? And. You know, is it ready for professional standard? So I'm curious, you know, if you can kind of help people understand what do you think keeps photos or a portfolio? From being that professional standard when it comes to retouching? Like Mm. when you see a portfolio from someone, what makes you go, ooh, they're not quite ready because I see XYZ happening here in this photo because, and you can tell it's like a retouching issue?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I thought about that a lot because there's so many different styles of retouching and there's so many different Mm. like standards based on A, the industry you're in, your client demands. Because when I actually had my first interest in retouching, it was, I remember going through an island, I think it was Target, and I remember seeing the cover photos of magazines. And then they, you know, they just, I think, just released the 5D Mark I. So, you know, the megapixel count wasn't very high for images. And because of that, sometimes there's not a ton of detail as it is. So there's, you know, the tendency to retouch photos was more stylistic than. Trying to retain like texture detail and things like that, and I remember mm-hmm. thinking, I don't really like how these pictures are being done because they're amplifying the eyes to a point where everything is nuclear white, and the skin right. is it looks fake. Yeah, it wasn't very good. And I remember thinking, I have the understanding and like visual aesthetic of what should be good. I just don't have the opportunity yet to prove it. So I wanted to make that change and show people. And that's what started my my trend. But to be, to answer your question, I think ultimately when you look at a photograph and personal preference, if it could have been shot 30 years ago on film and the skin still looks normal and natural and it's not overdone, so to speak, I feel like that's a very good mark of what good retouching is. But I say that with the, with the preface of you know, Your client also dictates sometimes how far you're going to go or your personal mm-hmm, style, mm-hmm. if you like to retouch that far. But personally, I think it's when somebody over-retouches skin or when they often change styles so dramatically so often that I feel like they're still searching for what, what good retouching is to them. And sometimes people might not make it, but it's just a matter of training your eye to see You know what it is. And that comes from practice, looking at tutorials and all of that.
0: Right. So it sounds like you're saying that if you can look at the photo and you know it's Photoshop, like it's really obvious, then unless, like you said, unless the client dictates it, that's a completely different story. Yeah, but if I can look at your photo and think, oh, yeah, it's super Photoshopped, then it's probably that you've gone too far. Yeah, right.
1: I think so. I think it's the initial instinct or initial thought of, wow, the Photoshop is taking precedence in a negative way beyond the photograph. And sometimes great photos can be ruined by that. And I've said this so many times. Many people have probably even heard this, but people will forgive you if you go under rather than over because sometimes when you go over you know it overshadows everything even beyond all the work that you've done so Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i think that's it for sure Mm -hmm.
0: okay so obviously over retouching skin and then you mentioned eyes being too white those are (laughs) things that i've i've noticed as well what else sort of stands out to you like You know, maybe taking away too many highlights or too many, you know, to make the face look like, like, are there certain examples of things that you think people should avoid doing when they're retouching skin?
1: One other big one is adding highlights when there's no highlights, and mm-hmm. what happens is you get this matte skin that doesn't have any reflective properties to it, and you just see this streak of white applied to it very harmoniously across an area to indicate that there's highlights there or they're trying to increase exposure you know, or something. And this also comes from not understanding like how light works sometimes. This happens more towards retouchers than photographers have found. And if you don't have experience in studio understanding where light is coming from and how light hits the skin, then you'd have a tendency to modify light in a way that it doesn't look in in real life. And I think that's a skill that comes with uh, doing photography and being in studio and being able to see what light does when you change modifiers and, and locations too. So that's another one. And another one is also going to be editing clothes in a way that sometimes doesn't work as well. Sometimes mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. ask me specifically to remove folds and remove wrinkles that, uh, wrinkles I understand, but folds especially on clothes that you should not be removing because you end up looking like a tin man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a topic that's very less discussed. But you know, try to think about folding clothing not as a distraction but as a necessity because sometimes the way clothes hang on a body you know indicate how the clothing fits the person you can't have some folds and not others because it just ends up looking like a different garment altogether
0: right right again gosh it just seems like it goes back to not taking things so far mhm you know and and there's got to be some real realistic like you said folds or whatever in clothing and you know not like people don't have flawless skin yeah you know, it's like if you remove too much of of the natural tones or textures it it really does it makes it look just fake and if people can can spot that initially that's the only thing they're going to focus on
1: yeah and like you know when i look at a lot of portrait photographers work like yourself and sue and i think there's such a good understanding of that and fortunately mm-hmm. we have so many great leaders in an industry that also their images are a good example of how portrait should be. And that's why I think I really gravitate towards portrait photography in this community is because, you know, you're capturing real people and you're setting these standards of what realism should be and and celebrating that. So I'm always on the line of doing less is more for sure. And I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad that, you know, many of us now, you could see it in their work that they they kind of understand that and people are accepting of it too.
0: Right, right. Prateek, what do you think are the skills that people absolutely should have or the tools they should know how how to use in Photoshop? Because there is, like, infinite possibilities of things you can do in Photoshop when it comes to doing, you know, so for someone like me where it's not, like, doesn't come naturally to me, (laughs) how do you narrow down the tools that people should, regardless of if you have a retoucher or you're just starting out or whatever, you should know these specific tools?
1: I would say probably uh, healing for sure, Healing the healing brush mm-hmm. number one, the cloning brush number two. Those are two of the mm-hmm. most powerful tools you can probably use in Photoshop as a foundation. Mm-hmm. And then also trying to learn the brush tool, because the brush tool obviously is for painting, but it's also to use for masking, it's also you know, to adjust colors with, and that's a huge tool to learn. And then when it comes to like adjustment layers, I would definitely recommend curves. Curves being Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. the number one because you can adjust color, you can adjust brightness, you can edit skin with it, especially with masking. Because those are my quintessential you know editing tools on like blank layers and adjustment layers. I I love them a lot, and I could do ninety percent of my retouching with just those alone. You know, so and many of you have already seen it. I it's so powerful.
0: Hmm. Hmm. It is powerful, and I'm glad because everything that you said is what I use. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Those are like, yeah, yeah. And then also dodge and burn, because you do yes. quite a bit of dodging and burning, right?
1: I do, yeah. I do them with curves specifically. So I combine my brush tool with my curves to dodge and burn, mm-hmm. and effectively that 's um, just brightening or darkening parts of an image in order to to either to either amplify you know certain areas like if you want to amplify highlights or you want to add a little bit more exposure in certain areas that 's very handy there and we call that global uh, dodge and burn because' it 's not centralized to very small areas, so we use curves like that with like a bigger brush, and if we want to say clean up skin a little bit further or modify how patchy a, a skin can look. Um, and then we use a smaller brush with the curves to dodge and burn those areas in order to kind of smooth out a little bit more, or like under eyes, if you want to brighten up those darker under eyes, or you know mm-hmm. if you have darker areas next to the mouth, which always happens on skin, no matter who it is, you can lighten up that way. It's so easy to do, and that's what I I love to do a lot. Dodge and burn is probably my favorite thing to do because in the beginning it was so difficult, but now you know after practice. It's become something that I I really enjoy doing. Would you, Nikki, do you say you enjoy actually retouching? No.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, no. No, no. Not even close. For some reason, it's just not something that has just come easily to me. Yeah. You know, if I have to, I can sit down and do it. But it takes me a long time and it's, I don't know. I don't know. There's just other things I'd rather be doing. Yeah. Which is ultimately why, why I hired a retoucher. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get messages every so often, and lots of people post in our Sue Education Facebook group, you know, I need a retoucher. Who has a good retoucher? Who retouches your photos? And people really seem to struggle with finding someone who either matches their style or who's mm-hmm. affordable. Yeah. Or, you know, I, okay, so I've, this is a two-part question. One is, at what point do you think people should outsource their retouching? hmm And two, how do people find someone, you know, who isn't going to hack up their photos or, you know, who it's affordable, I guess, for, for someone who is going to outsource, you know, the majority of their photos for portraits?
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons I asked you the question was because I totally understand where you're coming from. And number one, number two, it's important that everybody understands that you don't have to love retouching for sure, because it's not something that is a, a requirement of photography. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it segues perfectly into this question. And, you know, having a group like the members group with Sue or like Portrait Masters is is so important because community helps. With recommendations, and for me, it was such a personal struggle because at one point in time, I did hire quite a few retouchers to work under me as the sort of agency where you know I would be able to manage the jobs, and I was able to send it off to retouchers that I approved of, and Mm -hmm. that again came from recommendations and also meeting people. Because I used to travel quite a bit before this whole thing uh, to do events and workshops. And along the way, a lot of students that came were also retouchers that I ended up, you know, kind of hiring. And, you know, the thing that, about that, which is so important, is you kind of have to try a few retouchers. Number one, if you, let's say you get a recommendation from the groups, you have to try them out and you can't give up on your first go because it's almost like speed dating where. You're going to ask them a few questions. Sometimes it doesn't go anywhere beyond the first few emails because they don't communicate properly or they might not uh, meet with your rate structure or anything like that. And that's okay. But asking a few people, you know, what their rates are can give you a better understanding of what budgets to have for shoots and also how it reflects on your personal pricing when you're doing shoots themselves. And Then, you know, just trying a few out. Because once you do try someone out, maybe everything is okay, except when you get the images back, it's not perfect. People tend to give up already. They tend to go, oh, they didn't meet my style. I don't like them at all. I'm just going to move on. However, you know, people, uh, retouches are responsive to change. And when you show them specifically what you don't like about it, they may be able to adjust on the fly and give you something that you do like. So, you know, keep those things in mind because you might miss out on on, on people that might yeah. be best suited for your work.
0: I really love that you said that. Maybe you know, give them a chance. Yeah. Communicate more of what you want. Maybe it was just they didn't quite understand what you meant, or maybe you didn't communicate it in a in a way that they understood it. Or, I mean, I just feel like like you said, it, like speed dating, where you know you <laughs> have to really give someone a chance. I mean, if if you've worked with them for multiple times and you're still not getting what you want out of it, okay, then I, can, I could see. But I, I really love that you said that. And I wonder how often people give someone just one photo and ask them to retouch it or whatever. Actually, I have a very good example of this. Ooh. A good friend of mine, Christina Hauser, she reached out to someone, Uh or no, I'm sorry, someone wrote to her. She's like, I get emails like this. I hope Christina doesn't mind them telling (laughs) the story. I doubt she'll mind. She's like, I get emails from people all the time from all over the world, like, and I do too. I'm a Uh retoucher from, you know, whether it's in Pakistan or India, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, lots of people who are wanting. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, Well, if I, honestly, if I didn't already have my retoucher in New Zealand, I'd be like, heck yeah, like. I'd be looking into people, but I've already got one someone who I love. Yeah. And Christina ha- was fine, too. She was working with Paul, Warner, you know, mm-hmm. everything was good to go. And then I think Paul now has this huge, crazy business. And yeah. so she needed someone. And mm-hmm. then the person that, sh- that was retouching her photos had left the studio whatever. Anyway, so she needed to find a new retoucher. And it just so happened that that day or the day before, this guy had reached out to her. Mm-hmm. And she thought, you know what? I'm going to give this guy a shot. So she sent him a photo, and it came back, and she's like, oh, gosh, no, this is not going to work out at all. It was, like, (laughs) way over-retouched. She changed the shape of her body, whatever, and Christina's like, I'm so sorry, this isn't going to work out. And he wrote back this really sweet email, like, Mm -hmm. I just would really love to work with you. Yeah. And she's like, okay, I'm going to show you what I expect from this photo being retouched, and I want you to recreate it. And she said it was so good that she thought for sure he he quite possibly could have just sent her the same photo back that she had done because wow. it was so on point. Yeah. And so she had him do a couple other ones and it ended up working out so great and he's her retoucher now and wow. he, she loves him. So like you said, that first interaction mm-hmm. could have been the end of it.
1: Yes. Yes. That
0: first, you know, he was just guessing what she wanted basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's such a phenomenal example. I I didn't actually know that story, so I'm really happy that a she she just
0: told me a couple days ago. It's so funny that we're yeah.
1: But isn't it cool? Because I think what happens, and this is a very human trait, and I've done this many times before, is when we don't get the response we want or expect, we automatically blame the other person for that um, Mm -hmm, response. mm -hmm. But. If we keep an open mind, and again, it's so important to keep that open mind and look back on the messages and say, was it something that I didn't say or is it possible that anything that I did say, could it be construed something else by somebody that I've never met or worked with in my life? And honestly, the answer is more 99% yes, that's possible. And we have to keep that in mind and give that other chance to come through cuz it will Yeah, for work. sure. Mm-hmm. For
0: sure. And you know, and this guy lives in India and maybe yeah. in his mind he's he's looking at American fashion magazines yes. where everyone is overly photoshopped. Yes. So, he doesn't know, you know, people just need to know your expectations. Mm-hmm. Really, that's what it comes down to cuz who can blame him if you're looking at Cosmo? Yeah, they're clearly their skins flawless, their bodies changed <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it's like so,
1: and even in different countries, because you go, for example, when I teach in Denmark, the standards are different than the U.S. You know, the standards are more realistic. They keep a lot more texture. It's not mm-hmm. over retouched at all. And when you oh, go cool. to like Korea, if you go to Taiwan, when I teach in Taiwan, they want to go further. They want to, you know, go push a little bit more on the skin. The standards are right. different. So it's, right. it's not the same anywhere you go.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Okay, so when we talk about pricing, I know mm-hmm. it can vary wildly what people pay. Yeah. You know, just like for photos. I mean, you can go get $100 headshots or you can spend $1,000 to me. I mean, it's just so, it varies wildly. Like how, if someone just doesn't either have the money to spend or doesn't want to spend the money on retouching. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess my question is, how do you find someone who's affordable? And then if you can't, I want to talk about like if you're out there listening like well I I just can't spend money on a retoucher right now I want to talk about a little bit about what you offer in your courses but before we do that you know how do you find someone that's affordable or do you just not like you just have to kind of learn to do it on your own? (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) That's interesting. So my my advice to that is do a lot of price shopping. You know, ask. Mm -hmm. This is why community is so important. You know, this is why I'm so grateful that we have. You know, our group, the Supervised Education Group honestly is, is one of my favorite groups out there because people can say, Hey, what retoucher do you use? Or you can reach out to members of the group and say, Hey, who are you using for your retouching? Do they have availability? And there's so many of us there that you're gonna find so many people that everybody uses. And then reach out to them, reach out to everyone that you possibly can, see what type of rate structure that they abide by. And that way you get a very good estimate. Of what you can expect budget wise, because it's not gonna fluctuate a lot. It's not super complicated, especially for portrait work, you know? And so then you're able to figure out, is this gonna be in my budget? And obviously portrait retouching is a little bit different in terms of pricing structure based on, you know, how long they take, the experience level, et cetera. Okay, so it could mm-hmm. it could range anywhere from five dollars a photo to like thirty dollars a photo, maybe higher. Mm-hmm. But then when you find someone that meets your quality standard to price ratio, then you know what ballpark you're kind of working in. And if you use that general estimate as a guideline, you know then you can figure out, well, do I have the budget right now? And if I don't have the budget right now, do I have the time? Because A, if you don't have the budget, you're going to have the time. So you're going to spend it either way or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you could shoot just film and not retouch the photographs and just send prints you know like you might have a different business structure that doesn't even need retouching maybe you're the type of person who advertises where you don't retouch at all and i've had friends recently especially like in the boudoir world where because they want to celebrate realism they don't actually retouch at all they're just like we're going to do the shoot and you know there's going to be very minimal retouching if none and they're going to send mm-hmm. it back and so you have to align your your standards with who you're trying to find and then factor in, in your budget. Or if not, then you're going to learn how to retouch as well, just to have a better understanding either way.
0: Right. And I do think that, like I said before, everyone should know how to retouch a photo. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to love it or do it all the time, but at least to have certain skills. Because there are going to be times when your client reaches out and needs something and in your retouchers on vacation, for example, well, that mm-hmm. happened to me before, where I'm like, "Shit, like she's gone." Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, what did you but,
1: do?
0: Right. Well, I luckily I knew how to do it, but it took me forever. Uh-huh. and you know, but it's one of those things where. It's so important to learn the skills. And so I know you have multiple. I have the retouching series. That's mm-hmm. that's the one that I've learned the most from. I know and I know you also have a couple classes just on SBE, some really basic stuff. Yeah. But help people understand your courses. Cause I know you've got the essential retouching workflow, you've got the retouching series, and then you've got a bunch of mini courses retouching efficiency. Ooh, I might have to get that one because like I said, I've been super slow. Correcting skin tones, you have dodging and burning, frequency separation, enhancing freckles. So, you know, for someone who is just looking for the whole kit and caboodle of retouching, what would you recommend?
1: I would definitely just go for the retouching series. And I'll be mm-hmm. honest, we actually put double the content than originally anticipated, just because <laughs> I didn't want anyone to feel like they were missing out on anything. Mm-hmm. We ended up actually keeping the price the same. So it's kind of like you're getting it half off every time you buy it. And I, right. I did that intentionally because I really, really wanted people to, to have the course. And when we launched the retouching series initially, you know, it had maybe like 12 or 13 hours of you know content that was the core content. But then it was last year, through the span of the entire year, we actually launched a lot of content on it additionally because people were saying, well, I have really learned a lot, but do you have any courses for this or content for that? And if you don't have it yet, on the website itself, which is retouchingseries.com which is a shortcut that goes straight there, or the Portrait Masters store as well, and the site, you can see exactly every single topic that it covers off the bat before getting it. And you can also click on them, yeah. see little trailers. And it, it goes over everything that a portrait retoucher would need for their work, whether that's going over the entire workflow of how to retouch properly or individual modules that talk about specific key areas. Like if you're trying to learn specifically how to do hair, or if you're trying to learn just the fundamentals of like how to use a healing brush or a clone brush. Mm-hmm. Or the basics that I told you, there's a fundamentals little module that you can jump in. And there's like seven or eight different videos of just that. So before you touch anything, you're already primed and armed and set up to be efficient in what you need to do. And then you can jump in, see my entire workflow if you want to, see full examples. So it's a very modular system. And it's meant for people like us who just have five minutes here and there I want to learn mm-hmm. on the fly rather than sit down for eight hours and learn a tutorial.
0: Right, right, exactly. And that's one thing I love about it because it's exactly what you just said. It's five minutes here. It's 10 minutes there. It's like, oh, I need to brush up on my dodging and burning skills. Or, and, and you also include some of your actions, right?
1: Yeah, so I actually include my main workflow actions. And the reason for that is, I'll be honest, the thing that is the most annoying about Photoshop is manually setting up stuff. Like, whether it's, I'm going to add a new layer now, or I'm going to add a new adjustment layer, or another curves, or I need to retouch a photograph. So here's the same 10 layers I got to add again. And I, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just click <laughs> a button, it sets it up. And I use that for every photo that I do. All the actions that I have in here is literally everything that I do. Even if you look at me doing a screen recording of something that's not even course related, you'll see me using those same actions. So, you know, anything that is in that course is not filler, it's not filler material. It mm-hmm. is literally. Pertinent, useful info that I'm using and I want to back because I don't want to be that person who's like, here's another cool video today about thing that I never use. You know, I want to show people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is what I'm using and this is the real deal. No frills, no intros. It's literally, let's get to it. Here's how to do it. Have a good day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I love your course. And like I said, you're really easy to listen to and and you teach in a very simplistic way. So it's awesome. Thank you. And, you know, I I feel like when it comes to retouching, we owe it to our clients to know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And again, like you said, we don't have to love it. But I'll tell you, when, sometimes we'll pe- people will post their photos in the Superice Education Facebook group to say, like, am I professional standard? Am I good enough? And oftentimes mm-hmm. they definitely are. It's just like, oh, we just have to work on that retouching. Once you can yes. nail down that retouching, you are good to go. Like it's like you said, it's usually overdone. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like it's something that is clients, they don't often know what they love about our photos. They just know that they love it. Yes, and so they're in their head they're not like oh she's a great retoucher or whatever but right. like I said the second they see that it's over photoshopped or like all of the, someone's photos are over they might not even know why they don't love the photos but they're just going to move on
1: oh that's such a good point especially because like you know when you pick up Vogue and you see the cover you're wowed by it you don't know yeah. why wow, you're wowed by it you figure that out later but it's the initial instinct that gets you so mm-hmm. you're communicating with them on skills before they even understand why they like it. And they don't even have to ever know. They just need to know that they want you, and that's it. And once you get them, right. for the first 10 milliseconds, you're theirs.
0: Right, right. You know, I'm wondering, you know, especially for people out there who maybe are retouchers who are listening and who are trying to build their business, how did you get to the point where you are, you know, you have all these courses on the Portrait Master store and you're just such a well-known retoucher doing all these workshops and how did you get to that point? I know you said you initially just had your stuff up on like Model Mayhem or whatever, but yeah. you know, how, how did you get here?
1: You know, I really love that question because it bridges perfectly like how I started and then what happened after that. And also, I wanted to interject and say, after we released the the retouching series, I wanted to commend everyone who's listening and, you know, in the group because I did see the quality of retouching increase a lot. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. incredible. Like going to Portrait Masters last year and seeing all the portraits, I was so floored. I was like, wow. Yeah. I don't know how, but it was it was a fast evolution too. It wasn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. like over a course of a couple of years. It was
0: Agreed. You know, months mm-hmm.
1: after we dropped, people started posting those photos. I was like, oh my goodness. And I remember when Sue first started working with me on the course, I was really skeptical and a little bit scared because obviously it's Sue, but uh, but this but the other <laughs> thing was she has, you know, her own methods of retouching and I didn't want to undermine it, right. but I also wanted to show people a different way. And I was like I'm not sure how people are going to receive it but I hope they understand the premise and I just wanted to thank people you know that got it and learned from it and execute it cuz I can see it every day now that I look at the look at the pictures and know the people who took it.
0: Yeah, same. I I've noticed a huge difference. And and like you said people are proud and they post and they're like thanks to Pratik's course <laughs> like thanks to the retouching yeah. series or whatever and and they show their photos and yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, so thanks for that. And then going back to your question Nikki. My first foray into the whole teaching experience was when I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't very long after I started sharing my work on Model Mayhem because maybe the maybe two years or two and a half years after, I was simultaneously also posting on Facebook and sharing my work there. Um, but on Facebook, I also started developing a lot of local uh, contacts. I'm in Houston at the moment and, you know, pretty much where I grew up. And we have an ASMP division here. And one of my friends, Sophia... And Todd, Todd, Todd's boss and Sophia Vanderdee's, just in case I'm going to send it to them afterwards, they actually approached me in regards to setting up a workshop there in Houston. And I really hadn't done a, a big event there before. Prior to that event, you know, I also tried to do personal local sessions, but it wasn't a lot. It was just because people you know, naturally are curious and no one was really teaching at the time. This was maybe you know, 10 years ago now. And I did my first seminar with ASMP, and 100 people showed up. And for me to go from doing teaching to like one person to 100 people was the most terrifying experience.
0: <laughs> I bet.
1: Uh, yeah. Even
0: though you know your
1: stuff, like it's still scary <laughs> yeah. when it goes to that many people. It is, and at the time I didn't really have any uh, validity to the results aside from people online saying they liked it. You know, I didn't really know the spectrum of the percentage of people that liked it versus how mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. that saw it. So I said, you know what, A, that's a problem, but also B, I didn't know whether the material that I had to present was going to be in a way that they would understand or like or appreciate. So I went to that conference and I taught for three hours and it was in a very dark room because you have to have the projector on. It's not like photography where you can you know, be very intimate with people also, um, and also and, and be in a studio together. And they were just very quiet listening. And you could see their eyes reflecting off the projector lights, kind of like hyenas in the dark. You know, it was, very, <laughs> it was very terrifying. And I remember that feeling. And I just kept going. I just kept going slowly, explaining things. And at the end, everyone was so thrilled and so appreciative. And I didn't really expect that response. And I was unsure what to do with that because, A, I just wanted to retouch at home. I didn't really, really want to teach a lot. But I also understood that... Helping people is something that I you know, love to do naturally, whether it's retouching or anything in life. I just love seeing people succeed in different facets of photography or retouching, and I really help a lot of my friends do that. But from there, I started getting interest from other cities to do workshops, and people started seeing that I teach, so I ended up setting up a, a one-on-one system where people could fly me out to their studios and I would teach them personally because mm-hmm. I'm a very mm-hmm. hands-on learner. And mm-hmm. I knew that if people could learn hands-on, I could teach anyone, you know, anyone, no matter what skill level. Sometimes I'll teach people where they would actually just open the Photoshop box for the first time and I would spend a full day and two days going over basics and what they need to know, what they don't need to know, and then jumping in. And through that a whole experience over four years or so. I ended up building, you know, a reputation where people would then ask me to fly almost weekly. And I didn't have time for it, so I didn't, you know, accommodate to everyone, but I knew there was something there. Mm-hmm. And around that time, I think it was like three or four years in, Creative Live messaged me and they said, you know, we'd like to do a class with you. And again, same kind of feeling. It was another stepping stone. I did my first retouching class on Creative Live, I think six or seven years ago now. And it, it really did well. A lot of people liked it. I started getting a, a bigger following from it. I started getting requests to do more content, but I did that. And then, you know, again, it just kept building. And eventually what happened was, because Craig and George were, were on Creative Live at the time, as well as Arlene, they already had a reputation built with me. And Sue was on there at the time too. You know, we had met during a lot of Photoshop weeks that happened. And then I think it was... Three years ago now, I approached George and and Craig and I, or George first, and I said, Hey, George, I have this idea that I want to do. It was perfect because Felix had his lighting series just come out, or I think he just recorded it then. And he told me that, you know, he's like, Felix was like, you should definitely do it if you're considering it. And I said, Great, I'm gonna pitch it to George. I met with him at Photo Plus. I said George I really want to do this platform and I want it to be modular because every tutorial that I've ever done is hours long and people don't have time to sit there for hours mm-hmm. and they don't have that I know this because I don't I have you know ADHD and it's really difficult for me to focus sometimes so I would love to see a course that is easily explained easily jump into and that's how this whole thing started and wow. it just kind of escalated from there. Yeah.
0: Wow. Oh well we are so, so, so lucky to have you on our platform. We truly are. I feel like you were like the missing piece to the puzzle of like Subrey's education to have you as a retoucher <laughs> on there. So it was it was yeah. So 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 great.
1: Yeah. It really felt fitting like meeting you and, and meeting everyone on the team and like Kellen and everyone and Vincent and Sue and like everyone just felt like I've known them forever. So it felt like a good fit, and I was really happy to be a part of this whole community.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, we're so lucky to have you. And I can't wait to see what what content you come out with next. And (laughs) although I feel like you've covered, so I I don't know how you could possibly cover any more. But when I think about that with Sue, like, how could she come up with anything else? She does. She's like, oh, yeah. yeah, And then I've got this magical, you know, new (laughs) self-value talk that I came up with. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the best talk I've ever heard when I thought that the last time that I ever heard, heard you know, so yeah, it's all very exciting, so Yeah, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and just for, you know, giving some tips on retouching. And yeah, it's helpful for me too to talk with you because I can now help guide people better when they ask me about either finding a retoucher or what should they know for retouching or, you know, what course should I buy or whatever. So. Yeah, this is good. Yeah,
1: that's true. It's good information that people don't talk about often, so I'm happy that we touched on those topics, too.
0: Yeah, it's not like the like, quote-unquote sexiest part of, you know, yeah. photography or whatever, but it is very, very important. So So, yeah, yeah. So I'm really glad. Really, really glad to have you on. We do have a kind of a retouching photoshop segment of the 12 week startup too it, you know we include that in there because it it really is it's it's such an important part of photography even if it's not mm-hmm. your superpower it's so important <laughs> to have knowledge about it and around it and yeah, yeah so
1: i'm i'm kind of glad though because I'll be honest, I don't know why I love it so much. It's actually more of an addiction for me than like I would say like a passion because <laughs> there's just something that happens when I'm zoned out editing photos uh-huh, that uh-huh. it's almost automatic now and I kind of get to zone out and my mind goes to a place where I come up with ideas and it's a very interesting feeling. I don't know the best way to describe it, but it's kind of like, imagine when you're photographing something that you love or there's a shoot that you've come up with a concept for and you're and you're doing it and that feeling of just losing everything that you're thinking of, just enjoy yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what that feeling is like.
0: Mm -hmm. So I do
1: it because I I must, (laughs) I
0: guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Well, I have a couple more questions for you. And I actually Mm -hmm. ask these at the end of each episode. And I know you're a photographer. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying what's something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot, maybe you could share with us what equipment do you use for retouching? Like, are you using a mouse? Are you using a Wacom tablet? You know what? What can't you live without when you're retouching?
1: I'm just using my trackpad. That's it. That's a all. trackpad. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just messing with you. I'm like, no, wait I a minute.
0: A- That's <laughs> not right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm using a uh, Wacom tablet. It's a Wacom Intuos Pro tablet. Nowadays, they they change the name so much. So by the time you might even get this podcast, it'll be different. But At the current time, it's a Wacom Intuos Pro and it's basically, it's not one of those screen devices where you have the picture on the screen, but it's just a flat surface. So the reason I use that is, A, it makes retouching a little bit faster because it's like drawing. It's Mm -hmm. not like using your mouse, but also it's also more accurate. You end up... Having more defined strokes, it's smoother, especially when you're trying to make very precise masks around edges or, you know, things that your mouse just couldn't do in a pleasing and fast way. And I like that a lot. So that's my main preferred editing tablet.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. I tried a, a I, I was calling it a Wacom, I guess it's a Wacom tablet before. And it just, I just, I don't think I gave it enough time. I think it was like... I tried it once and I was like, no. Nikki, not <laughs>
1: you must give it time.
0: <laughs> I know. You're like, I don't
1: need this. I have retouchers for this. <laughs>
0: I know. Basically, that's basically right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Number two, how do you spend your time when you aren't working?
1: I'll be honest. I like to do absolutely nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same.
1: I, you know, I think, I think I was just having a discussion yesterday with someone. I was saying that we often feel guilty when we're not being productive. Mm-hmm, and I don't know if mm-hmm. you're the same way or not, but I, I am mm-hmm. for sure. We don't give our permissions to do absolutely nothing, but yep. I feel like that's so necessary just to just veg out and just sit there and whether it's just going on Instagram or laying down and just, un- you know, really not thinking mm-hmm. about anything. Yep. I know they call it like meditation, but I want to actually do like a little bit of something while I'm doing nothing. So, um, same, <laughs> you know, <same>. just like <laughs> I know
0: there are times when my husband and I, we have two little kids, they're two and four and... You know, we make sure we each get our own separate time to do whatever it is that we want. And he, like, goes out and rides his BMX, you know, dirt jumps or, like, go snowboarding or kayaking. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just going to close the door and watch Netflix for three hours if we, you could just keep the kids out. That would be my time. Like, you know, like, I'm with you. I just need to, like, just chill and and do nothing. Read or... Read a magazine, just, just nothing. Yeah,
1: we need to normalize that without the guilt factor in it. You know? Ugh,
0: agreed. We always
1: see these people or these talks, and and we're all guilty of it. We do it too. We're like, oh, we need to maximize our efficiency, and, mm-hmm. and you know, really set set the time for each day and get go get it. And it, that's fine. It's fantastic. But at certain point, you're going to burn out. It's just it's just how we're built. You know, we're not built to go sixteen hour days. Totally. We're built to, Look like, at any
0: other atom on this planet. <laughs> I know, I know. I think people sometimes think that like being busy is this like badge of honor, and I'm like, I don't want to be busy. Yeah. I don't want to be no. crazy running around like a wild woman all the time. Like, no, mm-mm. yeah. <laughs> if,
1: if we could be successful and have time, I think that's success. You know,
0: totally, like, totally. We could talk about that for days.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> all <laughs> Let's right. Let's get in our PJs and talk about it. I that's know. Perfect.
0: I know. <laughs> All right, what's your favorite inspirational quote?
1: It's funny because it's a very cliche one. And I say it's cliche because even when I say it in my head, I'm like, oh, Lord. But it's it's be the change that you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I say that because I actually keep repeating it in my head, even though I don't intend to do that. And the reason I say that is because it's actually how I started doing this. When I first saw that photo on the magazine stand that I didn't like, I could have just sat there and complained about it all day long forever, mm-hmm. but I said, you know what, if this is the standard that is the global standard, and it's clearly bad, I need to change the standard, and I wanted to make it a mission, and I, and I was like, I'm just going to make that my definite, definitive mission, to not only have some sort of standard that you know people can look up to, but Teach it to make sure that people can do it as well and, and change. So I would say that is my, my main influence.
0: Love that thought process. That is, uh, I love it. I could not agree more yeah. with you. Fantastic.
1: The same thing goes for your personal styles, right? Because if you're trying to set a new standard for portraiture, the way to do it is to put it out there. Mm-hmm. And you will find people that will like your style for you mm-hmm. even if it's 0.0001% of the world that's enough clients
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true it's true very good point okay last question what would you say to people who are just getting started
1: i would say make sure you're doing it for the right reasons mm-hmm. i've had people message me saying how much can you make from retouching mm-hmm. and i knew off the bat they're not going to be retouchers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i said this is not for you go do something else even though they could probably do make a really decent living from it but the question has to be wow how can i do this all the time you know mm-hmm. it has to be passion based mm-hmm. it cannot be self serving based we are not in this to self serve yep we are in this to help others and at the core of it we have to have that passion to help others because as you know nikki when you get those emails that really test you or when you get the clients that really push you you tend to remember why you're doing this and, you know, you're helping personality comes out because that's why you're doing this podcast. That's why you're asking all the questions, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because you like doing it.
0: I love it. I love it. That's such a good point. Yeah. No one's ever said that for, for when I asked that question. I'm glad you said that. I really, really love that.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love that too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do have one more question. Where can people find you online if they're looking for you?
1: They can find me, if you, (laughs) I wanted to say just Google me, but literally if you just type in my name, because not many people have my name, Pratik Nayak, you will find all my channels, like whether it's YouTube, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook. Um, So I have two Instagrams. One is uh, Solstice Retouch, which is my main Instagram. I primarily use that for, you know, posting stories because I love to be engaged. I don't update the work so much on there as much anymore. Mm -hmm. But I also have Shop by Pratik, which is my personal photography project uh, profile and mostly on facebook as well so those are my kind of main places that i go to
0: awesome and if people want to get your course it is the retouchingseries.com?
1: yeah it's the retouchingseries.com. and i definitely would recommend it for anybody even considering even if you don't need it now you might need it you know maybe a couple of months from now where you're thinking dang i wish i go- i would have got it then right right i definitely would get it You can download the content, you can stream it if you want to. It's yours. It's not a subscription, it's yours. Right, awesome, awesome.
0: Cool, well thank you again for taking time to do this interview with me today. And I really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you so much, Nikki. This was an absolute blast and I hope this really does help a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it will. And hopefully we'll see each other next year in person.
1: (laughs) Yes, let's hope this (laughs) happens this year. (laughs) Yeah. All
0: right, thanks again. We'll chat soon. Take care. It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and eight frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX 100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.